Welcome to Beyond the Lamppost, a podcast dedicated to engaging the world of the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm Shannon. And I'm Stephen. Here we reflect on our experience as siblings growing up in Narnia and journey deeper into its world with the eyes of young adults. Today, we're discussing the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, colon, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There is a prophecy. The two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will appear to defeat the White Witch and put an end to this hundred-year winter. I think you've made a mistake. We're not heroes. There's no mistake. Aslan is on the move. Aslan, we need your help. I know. But understand, the future of Narnia rests on your courage. If it's a war Aslan wants, it's a war he shall get. They come in numbers far greater than our own. Numbers do not win a battle. No, but I bet they help. Steven, I am so excited to talk about this movie. I have been waiting for this episode, and I'm very happy it's here. It is a really good movie. They, I, it was very memorable for me. It was interesting because it came out in 2005. Yes. And at that age, I was 10 years old, uh-huh. and you were 8. I and was 8. You know, it's interesting because at that point, we were already familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. We were already Narnians, basically. Exactly. And but this was new. This was something we had the background for it, and we could we were sort of you know judging. Okay, does this live up to our expectations? And I would say that it did. Uh, yeah, it did. So. I feel like this was the movie of my childhood. Wow. Like this was a huge event that happened. And another thing is that we were kind of the same age as the children. I was very close to the age of the actress who played. Lucy and you were kind of close to the age of the actor who played Edmund, right? So when so the movie came out in 2005, it was filmed I think more around 2003. Okay. So so Georgie Henley who played Lucy would have been 8 at the time and Skander Keynes was about 12. Around our ages. Around around our ages. Yeah. Yeah, Skander would have been a little bit older than me, but yes. Yeah. So I was obsessed right away with this movie. And even the CGI at the time was pretty groundbreaking. Like I had never seen anything like the beavers before in a movie, honestly. Mm. Yeah, they, you know, for its time, it, w- it was very good. It's funny looking back at it now, there were some shots that I could tell like, okay, that's obviously green screen. Well, nowadays, but, comparatively, yeah. it definitely looks like it is. But the only thing that we had known before at that point was the BBC 
Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes. And those, that was definitely not as technologically advanced. Made in the, what, 80s? 80s, yep. That was a treat. Oh, yeah. So the, <laughs> you know, the, there, were, there was no CGI, only people with costumes. The beavers were full Life adults size, very with creepy costumes. creatures. This was um, a whole new experience. Yeah, it was. I remember one time in particular, we were in a Christian bookstore at a mall. It was like a few months after the movie came out and they had like this display of the books because the movie had come out, it was such a big deal. And I remember watching this other family coming in and the kids were like, what? These were books? And I remember thinking, oh my, what? How have you never read these Ignorant books before? Younglings. <laughs> I know, but it's really like, I feel like this was the introduction to the whole world of how amazing Narnia was. So, yeah, so when I came out, this when when the movie came out, I would have been about ten years old. Shannon, I think you actually saw the movie before I did. Oh yeah. I saw some kind of poster for it. I I saw that there were like scary looking evil creatures, and I actually didn't want to watch it at first. It looked too I scary. I was that I was that age. Yeah, yeah. it was really interesting. But uh -huh. you watched it before I did. I know. I was so excited for you to watch it. It's it's interesting. Although it was such, you know, it was a great movie. The fact that we already knew Narnia doesn't, it didn't end up like defining Narnia in my imagination. Right. The way that maybe some other, some other things might have. Really? You know, the, the musical played a significant role in like shaping my imagination of Narnia and even I think to a degree the BBC production did mm. but this in, in my mind it didn't it didn't completely define my imagination of what Narnia was it was just like oh this is kind of an expression of Narnia this is an adaptation of Narnia and that's okay. what it's always been for me it never really yeah I had a different experience. I think really? It, it really did shape my view of Narnia. And I think I'll get into that during our discussion a little bit more. So we watched the movie again. You just mm -hmm. finished it earlier. I did earlier. First today. impressions. It's been a while. It has been a while. I remember it very well, all the same. Um, I, I even remember a lot of the commentary. They have an audio commentary that you can turn on on the DVD. I probably yes. haven't watched that since maybe 2007, but I still remembered a lot of a lot yeah. of key things. So it, it was a very memorable movie. It was it was a good reminder. It was interesting. They took a lot of liberties with it. Really, they that was did. one of the things that really stuck out to yeah. me this time. Um, as I said, you know, having being already familiar with the book, I was able to notice the discrepancies between the movie and the book, mm -hmm. even when I watched it for the first time. The, I think it stood out particularly to me now. I don't really see that as a big problem, though. I think yeah. they were faithful to the overall spirit of the story and the overall kind of structure and thrust of the story. They wiggled around in that a little bit. I think that's just part of being able to kind of go into the world of Narnia and explore and move around a little bit. It's like it's real enough, the story is real enough, that you don't have to slavishly stick to every letter in order for it to feel real. And I think they really entered in to the spirit of it I agree. largely. I agree. I actually would argue that adding the things that they did was very necessary because if they had been 
extremely by the book. Adapting it to a movie, it comes across as boring. Mm-hmm. Which, especially for which was the case for BBC, in my opinion. Now that doesn't mean I don't love the BBC version, but it was not as exciting and engaging as this version was. They did a lot of things in the in the Disney World and Media version to make it more dramatic. Yes. The they had many more close calls, such as particularly with the witch. They when the wolves come to the beavers dam in order to chase the Pevensies and the beavers, they're right there. Right. They don't leave, you know, far ahead of time. You can hear the wolves right behind, you know. Yes. And they, they come out, they go through a tunnel. The wolves are following them in the tunnel. Yes, they come yes, out yes. of the tunnel. They have to hide in a tree as the wolves go by. And then the witch chasing them across the lake, but it actually ends up being Father Christmas. And then what was the other one? Oh, the waterfall scene where the waterfall's yes. thawing and they're fighting the wolves. That wasn't in the book. That no. was completely new. But I thought it worked. I thought it worked quite well. It worked very well, and it worked towards their character development as well. Like that was Peter's first encounter with the wolves was at the waterfall, and it it showed how how he hadn't come into his identity yet because mm-hmm. he hadn't met Aslan, and so it's very clear his character development at the end of how far he came. Absolutely, there were there are so many liberties that they took. I don't. It would even be hard to go into them all. Right. The discovery of Narnia. They played hide and seek right away rather than exploring the house that was another thing and lucy got up in the middle of the night that was this her second time in narnia well those are a little more like those are very those are nitpicky but it is it is noticeable they're playing cricket they break the window that didn't happen yeah yeah in the books exactly one more important difference that they made is in the beginning with the first scene is the air raids and bombing in mm-hmm. England. Mm-hmm. This is not in the book. They just briefly mention in the book that there was air raids so the children went to the country. Yeah. I think that this distress and intensity is very important to set the scene before they go into Narnia because it shows that they feel helpless to this huge situation yeah they're they, off kilter and disoriented they're off kilter upheaval they're disconnected from their family yeah um their father is away at war that was an added detail war. in the movie that wasn't in the exactly book. and even when they're at the train station peter is looking longingly at these soldiers which mm-hmm. i never noticed before when i was little but i always thought he was thinking of his dad when i was little but now i realize he's probably feeling like I want to fight in this war because I feel so helpless right now. Yeah. But the thing is that that is such an important stage to set so that when they go into Narnia, Aslan can fill that void. He gives them purpose and belonging and identity that the book shows that he gives them but it's a lot more stark because of that setup in the beginning i feel like in the movie the movie brings it out yes. more and that's good i think that's the sign of a good movie adaptation it's not piling on something extra it's drawing out something that's already there in the book exactly and for an audience that didn't live through exactly. the bombings and doesn't have a, me- a memory of older siblings who did it's important to have that there and communicate Absolutely. that kind of intensity yes 
And they also, one of the things we were talking about, they bring things out. They really brought out and highlighted the conflict between Peter and Edmund. They did. Right from the very beginning. That was important. Um, they, as the, the bombs are dropping, the family is running out of the house into their bomb shelter. And um, Edmund goes, rushes back inside to save a picture of their dad. Yeah. But Peter is angry at him. He runs back in to get him. And, you know, finally they get him. They, they're in the bomb shelter, but he's, he's yelling at him. Why can't you just do as you're told? Uh, and, and, and you see you that sulky. You could have gotten yourself killed. That's You could have gotten yourself killed. You see that sulky look on Edmund's face. It's very clear that tension between them right from the very beginning. And even when they're at the professor's house, Edmund yells at him, you think you're dead, but you're not. I always had a hard time understanding what he and was, I was like, saying you there. You think I'm dumb, no. I, but, is he saying you think you're dumb, but you're not? Okay, no, probably you, not. You think you're tough, but you're not? I think it's I think, I think think it's you think you're tough, but you're no, not. No, it's you think you're dad, but you're not. Oh, because okay. he's like telling him what to do and whatever. Oh, okay. Trying to be the father figure of the crew. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. I didn't. Hmm. Well, that would make sense given the context. You know, it's implied exactly. that there's this conflict here and it has something to do with Edmund kind of longing for his father and that, yeah, no, that would make perfect sense exactly. actually. The book really doesn't have much at all in terms of depicting the battle, mm, which is mm -hmm. interesting. Because actually the whole time we're with Lucy and Susan and Aslan in the book. That's right, that's yeah. exactly right. We really don't see much of the battle at all and I don't know how you would really describe that in a book, but they have some great battle sequences so in good. the movie. Really excellent. So good. Great sword fighting, great got, epic music and such. I got so many chills watching it through this time, especially in the battle scenes. Absolutely. Because it also shows Peter's terror of like, he, Aslan's not with him mm -hmm. and how in the world are we gonna do this right unlike the book peter and edmund actually find out that aslan has died because yeah. lucy and susan send them word through the dryads, through the, dryads. Through the trees yep and uh, so they know but they they go ahead they have to do it anyway and so when peter yells for narnia and for aslan it's the memory of of a hero that has died i I'm, them. i am getting goosebumps you just saying that right now <laughs> <laughs> they and one there there were several things that i noticed one was it, it's such a great depiction of of the armies of of their armor the various creatures involved there's the griffin there who flies mm -hmm. above and scouts out the witch's army and brings back word to them that i mean that creature wasn't mentioned in the book but a very cool addition there is also a phoenix Mm -hmm. which uh, if, if those of you who may remember from classical mythology that the phoenix is a bird that uh, that that dies in flame mm -hmm. periodically, but then rises from the ashes again. Mm, so good. And so here, so the phoenix is flying overhead. They intentionally shoot a flaming arrow at the phoenix, and the phoenix dives and basically sacrifices itself, creating a wall of fire between the witch's army and Aslan's army and Peter's army. It's an image of a creature sacrificing itself for mm. the good of Peter's army. Yeah. And this is the sort of creature that we know rises again. Oh my god. Which sounds a lot like Aslan. Absolutely. You know, now that we're talking about the battle, one of my favorite elements of this movie is the soundtrack. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. We've talked a lot in this podcast about the feeling of destiny that C.S. Lewis communicates 
through his book, that is translated so well in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially in the battle. The, it's a, just a great epic moment. I'm too high for you. <laughs> That's fine. It is. I I remember when I was in high school, I had that song on my iPod. And I would listen to it while I was running yes. up the hill. It helps you run so much better, doesn't it? Oh, it, it does. <laughs> it does. It charges you up. It energizes you. Oh, my you. gosh. And then another another part of the soundtrack I loved was um, the discovery of Narnia when Lucy Absolutely. walks in the wardrobe. What's the what's the melody to that again? La do 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 so beautiful it's so narnian there's something very enchanting about this this is there's an innocence there's a wonder but it's also touching on something very it's really only narnian i think it to to express the sort of narnian atmosphere mm-hmm. and wonder and innocence but also that weight at the same time is hard exactly. to do and i think they did it extremely well which is also reflective of lucy's character all of those qualities it is it is yeah lucy did a great job georgie Henley okay. did an excellent job come on georgie um there was <laughs> we were watching i recommend everyone if you have disney plus go and look up the show prop culture there's an episode on the line the witch in the wardrobe that um, they look at all the props from the movie. It's so cool. But they show mm-hmm. a little clip from when they were filming. And there was one behind the scenes clip where Georgie was like, Georgie knows her stuff <laughs> as a little she eight-year-old. She is correct <laughs> about oh that. My Georgie gosh. knows her stuff. She's right. <laughs> She's so cute. Okay, but I love Lucy in this movie. They brought out that wonder and awe and innocence of her and valiance of her. But also, she has so many sassy, witty, awesome she comebacks. She really does. She really does. Okay, what are some of your favorites? I have a list of them. When she meets Tumnus, one of the quotes I used to um, say all the time when I was little is, and actually, I'm tallest in my class. And that's when Tumnus asks if she's a dwarf. Yes. Without a beard. Uh-huh. Yes. And then when she says goodbye to Mr. Tumnus in the beginning, he gives, tries to give her back her handkerchief, and she says, "Keep it. You need it more than I do." And then um, after Is that one from the book, no, it's not in the book. No, okay. I always thought that it was for some reason. Yeah. Okay. And then when Father Christmas leaves, she turns to Susan and said, "Told you he was real." Santa Claus is real. <laughs> yes. And then when they enter Aslan's house, Susan says. Why are they all staring at us? And Lucy says, maybe they think you look funny. <laughs> that was a good one. There are really a lot it. of great one-liners in this yes. movie. And some, I, I mean, a couple of them are maybe, at least I thought now, a little bit on the cheesy side. But I love You know, Peter them. says to Aureus the center, are you with me before the battle? And he says, to the death. It's so they have good. The epic music. But I, a lot of them I thought were actually really just fantastic. Yes. Uh, fantastic lines. I think that added a lot to the story, honestly. And you don't get that in the book. 
it's a good balance to all the adventure that's happening, I think. It is. It's it's the sort of thing that you find in a movie, and I thought that it was appropriate. Just while we were on the character of Lucy, one thing I thought that they did, interestingly, was Lucy's willingness to fight in yes. the battle. They, they highlighted that, and I think in a good way. It just felt very Lucy-like. Uh. It went with Father Christmas, very, very much in keeping with the book. She says, I think I could be brave enough. Um, and 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 he says, well, your battles are ugly affairs. You know, you're you're not meant to fight. They don't actually include the the women aspect. Though. Yes, um, thank you. He doesn't say anything about that to Susan. Right. And she actually points that out. Uh, she she says, what happened to battles are ugly affairs, and they actually train when they're at the camp I when the battle is moment. coming. They do target practice, and and they and are really good. They're really good. On their I know. I'm pretty try. impressed. Even even little Lucy is able to get a bullseye, bullseye. with her dagger there, which I don't know. Maybe that that's to show. Well, maybe that just shows that they. Are, this is what they were meant to do. You know. Maybe maybe I I love the part when when Aslan comes back to life. They um, are 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 ready to go, and Lucy draws her dagger and says, "We have to go help them." Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good old you know sweet little Lucy is yes. is ready to fight. And you know, that line wasn't in the book, but I thought it just fit Lucy's character very mm. well, and I liked how they mm-hmm. did that. You know, when we're reading a book, we don't actually see the characters, but mm-hmm. in this movie, there is so much communicated with the eyes. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a lot of actors do that in a lot of movies, but I feel like especially in this movie, there are moments that just so much is said through the eyes especially between Lucy and Mr. Tumnus. Mm. I adored the depiction of their relationship in this movie. It is mm-hmm. everything I want it to be and more. You know how much I love Lucy and Mr. Tumnus's relationship, but just like the looks they share. But okay, can we talk about James McAvoy for a second? James McAvoy plays Mr. Tumnus. And his eyes are so tender and expressive. Yes. They say so much. And even when he knows that he, even when like he's still trying to kidnap Lucy, he has like so much shame in his eyes in these small little moments. Uh, it was remarkably subtle too. It was so I subtle. I thought it was really brilliant how yes. he did that. Um, oh you can goodness. tell that he, I, it, and at some moments more than others, he's looking around as they're about to head off to his cave. Yeah. You know, he's not too disturbed at that point. Um, she says, "Oh, you you look like your father, you know," and he's he he actually has has locked the door. Yep. To the cave, which I I don't think I noticed before, and he's putting the key uh, where Lucy yes. can't get it, and he he's you can tell he's actually disturbed. I'm not like my father at all, really. And then at the end, when they're talking after the coronation, he just has such love in his heart for mm-hmm. Lucy, and you can see it in his eyes. It is so beautiful. He has a little bit of that kind of smirking smile, too. Yes. And it, it's it's something is very, I don't know, very appropriate about it. It's just you can tell that he's really happy to be there, but it's not it's not like so effusive it's held back a little bit uh-huh. it's a little bit it's the um it, it's the young to middle-aged man kind of affection i think is what it yeah. is it's just that sort of yeah i can see that. that that sort of smile there yeah adoration yes yes you know another thing is someone who wasn't even a human but had so much through their eyes was aslan mm-hmm. i mean 
holy moly for like cgi not being a huge thing back then they were brilliant at expressing his kind and fierceness and his majesty in his eyes it was incredible Mm. even there was this moment when he was being executed at the stone table and i think you're supposed to think that he looked right at lucy right before the witch stabbed him Mm. and she looked at him and you could see her eyes were like why are you doing this but his eyes was like full of like love and angst and everything and And anguish too it was beautiful Yeah. yeah During the stone table scene where Aslan is executed by the White Witch, I I remember from the from the commentary that they actually put um, they had special contacts for the witch. Oh really? So so made that made it made her it look like her pupils were so dilated there wasn't really anything else yeah. in her eye, just that it made her look like a cat or something. It was very creepy. Did this movie impact you as a child in your development in any way? Do you think? I wouldn't necessarily say that this movie specifically impacted me a whole lot, except just that it it embodied and did a good job of expressing a lot of the stuff that was in Narnia yeah. already. I think the biggest thing for me was the music. Absolutely. Um, the music gives that sense. It's, it's epic music, mm-hmm. and it gives that sense of, of grandeur and bigness and heroism. And I listened to it frequently, and so and and so that that I think was the biggest thing. Absolutely, and stuff like that isn't communicated in the book, so especially the music really brings the world to life. It just resonated with something in my soul. I think for me, this movie impacted me on a very deep emotional level. How so? The destiny aspect of it, a lot of it which was communicated through the music, and that even as a child, like the Pevensey children, I could have meaning and purpose and an identity, Mm. and Mm -hmm. what I did mattered. And especially Lucy, I truly did very much identify with the character of Lucy at the time. Her pure brave and valiant spirit really inspired me as a child Mm. even that has carried through today and just something in my soul that it communicated to me that there is something deeper and more purposeful to life Mm. i you know one one thing in terms of uh real life connections with that movie one thing i do kind of remember and this is on the humorous side is uh edmund uh you know he doesn't like being hugged yeah at least not at first and i remember you and mom always making a big deal out of that oh you know and then at the end like oh he hugged his sister yes okay okay and i remember always being a little bit uncomfortable with that (laughs) (laughs) okay no but the thing is i would hug attack you all the time as a child and there's this one scene when when Edmund is first in Narnia and Lucy finds him there and she like attacks him with a hug and yep, he's and like he's flailing, flailing his, his arms. arms backward. And I was like, that <laughs> I'm pretty sure that happened to us multiple times before. Probably. But I can't help but wonder if subconsciously that did influence me to change my ways. Oh, I love Edmund did that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it did. Let's, let's believe it did. Steven. Should we get into trivia? Let's do it. Fun facts. You have some stuff about the actors, don't Mm -hmm. you? I do. Do share. All right. Peter was played by William Mosley. 
Love him. William Peter Mosley. Interestingly, his middle name really? was Peter. Really? Yes. It was meant to be. Apparently so. I mean, honestly, hello. Hello? Hello. What do you mean? What does hello mean? Moving on. Meaning that he's an attractive young man? As a child, I thought he was very attractive. I will allow you to think that. Attractive. I can see that. I can see that. He was born in 1987, which meant that while they were filming the movie, he would have been about 16, which is a little bit on the old side. William Mosley has continued in his acting career. He was in Artemis Fowl, which just came out this year. Really? Okay. Which I have not seen. He was also in The Little Mermaid in 2018. Okay. And uh, he was actually on the show American Ninja Warrior. Really? At one point. I want to see that. That sounds fun. I know. Go William. And then I think, Shannon, you mentioned at one point that he was on the show Rain. That was Anna. He was, was, was Anna he was on a show season. called Royals. It's funny that you say that because it seems as though there are a lot of these actors are on some kind of British royalty exactly. show. Anna Popplewell, who played Susan, was on the show Rain. Yes. You said, right? Yes. Which is also about royalty. Georgie Henley, who played Lucy, uh, is currently on The Spanish Princess. I'm peeking at your notes here. Georgie Henley's your age. Georgie Henley was born in 1995. Oh. Yes, which meant that at the time of filming, she would have been eight years old. Okay. Well, hey, Georgie. Love, love to, love to chat with you. Apparently, she was born on July 7th. Okay, she's older than you. She is younger than I am. Oh, July. July 7th. I was, thinking I was born January. in February. Just kidding. Why are we comparing our ages? But she is born <laughs> in July 7th, which happens to be. Uh, the date that we released our episode where we talked about her in the really? Lord of the on her birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Georgie. Happy birthday, Georgie. Moving on. Anna Popplewell. <laughs> Anna Popplewell played the role of Susan. Mm-hmm. When she was 11 years old, she was in the movie Mansfield Park. She's oh, been, she's really? Been, yeah. One interesting tidbit, though, about her was that she went to Oxford University. Oh, cool studied English literature at Maudlin College. Maudlin College was actually where C.S. Lewis taught English literature. Really? That if is she had so just been there cool. 60 or 70 years earlier, she could wow. have had C.S. Lewis as her tutor. To me, personally, the most interesting of the four Pevensey actors yep. is Skander Keynes. Yep. Skander Keynes was born in 1991. What a great name what for one thing. What a great thing. name. So he would have been 12 at the time of filming. He has so many interesting things about him and yep. interesting connections. He is the great, great, great grandson of Charles Darwin. That is wicked awesome. Which means that he's also distantly related to Queen Elizabeth I. That is also wicked awesome. Along with several other people whom I've never heard of, but he's related to a lot of British royalty people. He did very little acting. He's not acting anymore. So that was maybe his only only acting thing. He did like maybe one or two other things he did. He went to Cambridge. Uh, as did Georgie Henley also, actually. Um, And he studied Arabic and Middle Eastern studies, Islamic history and religion and and other things like that. And he's currently working as a political advisor, so working with members of parliament. Oh, wow. Go Skander. Yeah, so super interesting. I remember there was a time in your life where you were thinking about going into more academia and the world of ancient languages. And ancient Near Eastern studies or yeah. something along those and lines. And you were yes. thinking 
you actually told me like I kind of wonder if I would run into him in my line of work. Well, someday. it's just it's just the sort of thing that's not totally impossible. I think yeah. you know he's he's working in more the political realm now and more modern Middle Eastern stuff. So right. I don't know that at the time there's... it seemed like you guys had a few similarities yes. in your interests. Yes, and uh, and and finally, as we talked a little bit about before, Georgie Henley played the role of Lucy, uh, and that was actually her first acting job. She went to Cambridge as well as did, these are very well-educated yeah. people, which is amazing to me. She went to Cambridge. She did some stage acting there as well. And oh, she actually cool. was the director of a short film. Go, Georgie. Yeah, so she's very much into that kind of creative, dramatic side of things. Other great actors in this in this movie as well. We already talked about James McAvoy, Scottish actor. He has been in a lot of things. He's very prolific. He was Professor X in the X-Men movies, mm. um, among many other things. He cool. did quite a few other things. The White Witch was played by Tilda Swinton, also she was Scottish. Amazing. She was in uh, the Marvel movie Doctor Strange, yeah. as well as Avengers Endgame, as well. Um, she's apparently going to be in a 2021 film, Pinocchio. Really? Yes. Harry Gregson Williams was the composer for the score, uh, mm-hmm. who's done a number of other familiar things he uh he did the shrek series actually okay. yeah nice he was so good we love you harry we yeah. love you excellent job i have a lot of really fun facts about the making of the movie there were so many fun facts mm. i had a very hard time narrowing them down this movie came out in 2005 it was the third most popular film of 2005 the first one was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Okay, fair. Okay. And the second was Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So it was right up there with those. Oh, my those goodness. Those are some very popular and still memorable movies. Hot competition. I mean, seriously. I remember the Star Wars movies having come out at that point. I never made the connection that Liam Neeson, who played Qui-Gon, that was mainly how yep. I knew Liam Neeson yep. in, in The Phantom Menace, was Aslan. Exactly. I never made the connection that Liam Neeson was Aslan. I know. Yeah, anyway, strange. The perfect voice for Aslan, by he the way. He did a very good job. Oh my yeah. gosh. In one of the scenes, Peter's looking out of the window listening to the radio about the war, and that voice is actually Douglas Gresham. Douglas Gresham, C.S. Lewis's stepson. Yeah, which is awesome. Who is friends with your godfather. Yes. So that's fun. When Georgie Henley, who played Lucy, the scene where she first walks into Narnia, they actually, she hadn't seen the set yet, so they actually blindfolded her right before they took the shot. So her reaction is real and genuine. The Mm -hmm. awe on her face is completely real. Also, when she first sees Mr. Tumnus, she hadn't yet seen James McAvoy in his um, oh, as Mr. Tumnus, right. so her scream and reaction is all completely genuine as well. There and and these some of these fun facts I think are from the episode in Prop Culture. Yes. That we oh, watched, yeah. Which you mentioned earlier, right? Which is a show on Disney Plus where they where they have the props from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and they go through some of those and give some behind the scenes things. Great episode. I highly if you recommend all want that. To watch it. It's yeah. really fun. I also just to note, I got a lot of these other facts from IMDb and Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the movie, as we all know, Edmund asks the witch if she can make him taller. Skander Keynes actually grew six and a half inches during filming. Six and a half. <laughs> yes. That's ridiculous. And when you think about it from the beginning, he does kind of look shorter than he does at the end. He looks smaller. That's funny. And you know, the I remember from the from the 
audio commentary that went along with the movie that they actually filmed the coronation scene before any of the other scenes. Oh, really? And so he's shorter, I yep. suppose, there. Than like in the battle <laughs> or look something. Younger and, and softer and yeah. less tan. Mm -hmm. I think I heard also Skander's voice changed while they were filming. Oh, really? And so they had to have some of his, sis his sister record some of the That's lines. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The last fun fact, again, I have so many more. It was so hard to narrow down. But it took 10 hours to make each frame of Aslan and 5.2 million hairs. 5.2 million hairs. Yes. So talking about the individual CGI hairs yes. on Aslan. That is unbelievable. It is, but it definitely paid off. It sure did. So I have a few top quotes. Um, oh, top quotes, yes. Oh my gosh. But there are lots of good quotes in this movie. So share many what, good share quotes. what you have. So I think one of the most endearing quotes is when Lucy and Tumnus meet and she holds out her hand. She says, Pleased to meet you, Mr. Tumnus. And then she's and then he like looks at her hand and she's like, Oh, you shake it. And then he's like, why? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> and then he proceeds to, to reach out his hand and sort of jiggle, jiggle her it. back and <laughs> so forth. Good. Yes. I love it. Another one is when they're training for the battle and Edmund says to his horse, whoa, horsey. And the horse turns around and says, my name is Philip. Yep. That's a good one. It's a very good one. Another one is when Aslan is showing Peter Care Paravel. Aslan says, there is a deep magic more powerful than any of us that rules over all of Narnia. It defines right from wrong and governs all our destinies, yours and mine. And he says mine with this sadness in his eyes, mm -hmm. like he almost knows what's coming. Yours and mine. It was so good. But mm -hmm. I think that that captures the essence of deep magic in a good way that's not like directly quoting the book. Hmm. Yeah. Although yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting, I, I felt that they actually spun it in a slightly different direction there from what we have in the book. In, oh, in really? the book, it seems as though the deep magic is just the moral aspect of it. Mm -hmm. it defines right from wrong. It's kind of the natural law that's woven into the Narnian universe. In the movie, Aslan kind of seems to be implying that it is fate as well. It governs our destinies. Yes. And so he's talking about how Peter, you know, he must become high king and ascend to the throne. But, and, and, and the deep magic is governing his destiny. Yeah. That's not really something that we see in the book. The idea of okay. deep magic governing destiny and the idea of there being a magic beyond Aslan that Aslan is subject to fate. Mm -hmm. or there's a power above Aslan that governs his destiny isn't really something that we see in the book as much. Okay, yeah. Ex except insofar as maybe the emperor beyond the sea is above him or he has to submit to the law of deep magic and right from wrong in, in a sacrificial way. Yeah. But it's not really guiding his destiny the way that fate guides one's destiny in Greek mythology okay. or something. So that, that was kind of an interesting spin that they put on that. Sure. Do you have any favorite quotes that you can remember? Yeah, there are so many good ones. Um, well, Aureus the centaur says to Peter, numbers do not win a battle. Peter replies, well, I bet they help. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That was a good one. The, um, the professor is talking with Peter and Susan, 
they're saying, and Lucy thinks she's found a magical land. You know, he kind of, you know, gives a little chuckle. And then in the upstairs wardrobe, the professor's face suddenly changes. Yeah. Uh, he said, and Peter and Susan said there was a wood and everything, and it was magical. And the professor asked, what was it like? And Susan says, it was like talking to a lunatic. I know, that was a funny line. And the professor says, no, no, not her. The wardrobe. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The wood. Also, Mrs. Beaver, you should have brought a map. Mr. Beaver, there wasn't room next to the jam as <laughs> they're fleeing one. from the wolves. I love from the Mr. Dam. and Mrs. Beaver's interactions throughout the whole movie. It's so good. Some of it was even nonverbal too. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, she uh, so good. Mrs. Beaver, they don't even know about the prophecy, and she just kind of well, says, well tell them. You know, sometimes she'll just like slap him or yeah. something. They they really do have a very endearing dynamic there. Someone's been sneaking second, second helpings. helpings. <laughs> <laughs> they're even present at the coronation and Mr. Beaver is present in the battle and I enjoyed the fact that they were sort of there throughout all of that. Mm. Mr. Beaver even has his own little suit of armor. It's so great. Kind of it's too. so adorable. Yes. Okay, there's one more thing. When you were saying one of your quotes, it made me think of this is like random, but I, I had to mention it because it's an Easter egg that's awesome is when they are talking to the professor, Susan and, and Peter. The professor takes some tobacco and puts it in his pipe mm -hmm. and he takes this is when they're it, talking about lucy because yes. they think she's going crazy he takes it out of a container shaped like an apple mm -hmm. and i do not think that is a coincidence no it's no. not in fact if i'm not mistaken there's even a carving of a flying horse on yes. that same container with the apple this is referring to the magician's nephew the apple plays a very big part in the plot for those of you who don't know which we will eventually get to but i love the little details that they put in the movie like that that really makes it so much more rich also on the front of the wardrobe there are so many carvings that are narnia related the most prominent one is right in the center a carving of a tree yeah this is the tree of narnia yep that was planted at the very founding of Narnia when it was created, when the professor was there, yep. young, the young version of him, Diggory. And uh, he actually took some of the fruit and that's out of the wood of the tree that he planted from yes. that fruit. That was the apple Yes, that was made into the wardrobe. Of course, there's more oh that gosh. goes into that as well, so we won't give too spoil much, that. Give too much away. You, you've probably read the books already, haven't you, if you're listening to yep. this podcast, but we'll still keep oh, quiet man. anyway. How, how do you think you would rate this out of 10? Rate the movie? Yeah. Probably a solid 9 at okay. least. Okay, yeah. that's good. 9 or 10. It's very high up there. The only reason why I might not give it a 10 is just, you know, there were a couple things, you know, maybe 8 or 9 out of 10. There were just a couple things where I could tell, okay, maybe that was obviously green screened or that was a little bit of a Hollywoodish line to add in there. It's really not the end of the world. Though, right. So I'd say 9 or 9.5 probably. Okay. How about you? Steven, I'd give this a 10 out of 10. Mm. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Fair enough. I, yeah. I cried and got chills so many times during this movie. I think it kept the integrity of the book. It did. And yeah. expanded even more upon it so so well all the little details that were hidden made it so much even richer i would venture to say in this instance which is not often but i think that maybe this movie might be better than the book shannon <laughs> what have you said i 
This is blasphemy. <laughs> I'm sorry. What no, I'm not said? sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm sticking the to it. better than the book. It, you know what? I, I will have to say, as a movie adaptation goes, this really did quite an excellent job yeah. in being faithful to the spirit of the book, but also making it good. I think there are certain things about movies. It's very difficult when you think about to turn a book into a movie. A lot of times it ends up feeling very short mm -hmm. and they did have to cut out things and mm -hmm. make things and speed things up quite a bit in order to make it work in the movie. Thankfully, it wasn't too much yep. and the story arc worked well enough. There are certain things that a movie can communicate, though, that a book can't. In the book, I think you get a good sense of the passage of time as well as other things, but the passage of time That's is one true. of them. You get a sense of time. In a movie, one of the things that a movie can do that I think a book often has a harder time with, in my imagination, is communicating and a lot of, a lot of the larger imaginative things yeah. often come across clearer in a movie than they would in a book. And I think that this movie did a good job of that. Yep, I agree. 10 out of 10 for Shannon. Oh that my being gosh. said, Prince Caspian and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, That's those a were a little bit of a disappointment. another story. It is. We will get is. to them. It's harder to make a movie out of those. Yep. Let's be honest. So, Stephen, there are more adaptations of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that we do want to get to. There's the BBC version. Mm -hmm. There is the musical that we discussed. There is also a 1970-something cartoon version. That's right, which I have not seen. I haven't either, actually. And we want to get into these. We hope to get into these. Mm -hmm. But I think we'll probably save them for later down the road just so we can space them out and uh, switch it up a little bit later on. We don't want to get too, uh, too tuckered out of our movie conversations. And I think we've had enough of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for now. I think it's time to move on to the Prince Caspian book next week. And maybe next week we'll discuss a little bit more why we're going on to Prince Caspian instead uh -huh. of the actual order of the Chronicles of Narnia. That's true. Some of you may have already noticed. Why aren't we starting with the magician's nephew? Yeah. Why aren't we moving on next to the horse and his boy? More on that next time. Until next time, fellow Narnians. And remember, numbers do not win a battle. But I bet they help. <laughs> Bye. One more thing, listeners. We'll be taking next week off, so there will be no new episode. But don't worry, we'll be back the following week to dive into Prince Caspian. Until then, fellow Narnians. Check out more of his music at jacobparada.com.